Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello everybody and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We are still discussing the just completed election and so we brought in another person who follows all of this stuff very carefully and has always been very good to share his thoughts with us and that is Brad Crone. Brad is the president of Campaign Connections. That makes him a political strategist and we've always found uh, Brad so interesting because uh, while he most of the work he does is for Democrats, he is also uh, one of the first ones to criticize when he feels like they need criticizing and so that puts him in a good position of not uh, overstating his position or using any of these platforms as a, an advancement of his uh, candidates or the, the or his party for that matter. So it's always good to have Brad on. Brad, thank you so much for sharing with us. It, it was an interesting election. The Republicans were looking for a for a red sweep. It didn't happen. Yeah, the red wave turned into a red ripple in North Carolina. We have a split congressional district. Uh, appropriations, seven Republican members of Congress, seven Democrat members of Congress. It will be interesting, and we can talk about this in the show. Will those maps stand? I seriously doubt it. But uh, we have a new United States Senator, Ted Budd, actually outperforming what I had anticipated uh, was going to be a much closer election. I think the final count was almost a four-point margin which was significant in the sense that uh, a lot of people said they thought it would be similar to 2014, where it'd be a 40 or 50,000 vote difference, like Tillis when he won over Kay Hagan in 2014. This was a a much broader gap, almost four points on the uh, electoral map. So uh, we'll have as a new United States senator coming in, And uh, the legislature, the Senate, state Senate, went with the supermajority. They are one vote shy. The Republicans are one vote shy of a supermajority in the North Carolina House. So, Don, that makes Michael Ray, the state representative from Northampton, Halifax, and Warren counties, North Carolina House District 27, the most important man in the state of North Carolina. because. He, as well as Shelley Wellingham in Rocky Mount, have shown that they are willing to vote with the Republicans on some veto overrides. But it's also important from the standpoint that Michael Ray will be the guardrail for the Democrats when it comes to social issues like critical race theory or attacks on the LGBTQ community, expanding Medicaid and uh, voting rights issues. So Michael Ray is going to be an extremely important element in the legislative process because he could uphold the governor's veto on social issues, but side with the Republicans on key budget issues. And that's going to be intriguing to watch when the long session begins in January. On the legislative front, what was really impressive to me Even though the Republican red wave did not materialize, the Republicans in particular at the legislative level were very successful. 
They won in House District 5 in Howard Hunter's district in northeastern North Carolina, stretching from Ahoskie over to Elizabeth City. They won in Pitt County. Dr. Tim Reeder, emergency room physician, defeated freshman incumbent Brian Farkas. In North Carolina House District 25, Alan Chesser defeated Reverend James Galliard, a two-term member of the General Assembly from Nash County. And in House District 32, which is Granville and Vance counties, Terry Garrison was defeated by Frank Sossaman. In the Senate race in North Carolina Senate District 3, the Bobby Hannock, who is the incumbent state senator, kept his seat there, uh, defeating Valerie Jordan. In North Carolina Senate District 4, Buck Newton, who had served in the state Senate from Wilson, it's Wilson, Wayne, and Greene counties, defeated longtime incumbent Toby Fitch, who had served in the North Carolina House as chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and had served as a Superior Court judge and after retiring from the bench, came back to the state Senate. And then North Carolina Senate District 7, perhaps the most competitive Senate district in the state, was won by Michael Lee, the incumbent. And uh, in a in a hard-fought fisticuffs race, very uh, hard-fought, probably more money spent in Wilmington and New Hanover County than any other legislative district, House, or Senate in the state. And then the Democrats were able to win in the metropolitan areas, in northern Wake County with Mary Bodie, in southern Wake County with Sidney Batch. And then Val Applewhite kept the seat, Senate 19, down in Cumberland and Fayetteville County. And Governor Jim Hunt's daughter, Rachel Hunt, who's a member of the state house, ran for the state Senate in southeastern Mecklenburg County in Charlotte, winning North Carolina Senate District 42. So the Republicans will have a supermajority in the Senate. They're one vote short in the state House. It's going to set up a really intriguing dynamic as we go into the legislative session next year. Interesting. And uh, as you said, you know, uh, I think it's so interesting that the uh, congressional de delegation, and we'll talk a lot more about the, the national picture in uh, another segment of the program, but it's so interesting that North Carolina has ended up now Seven and seven. Um, uh, it is seven and seven. Isn't it? That's right. Yes, it, it's correct. It just shows that the state's a purple state. That that given it's the purple state, it's a purple state totally. And so yeah. it's going to be interesting. Even though the Republicans have supermajority in the state Senate and one vote shy, seventy uh, votes in the uh, state House, seventy-one votes. That that uh, it's going to be intriguing to see. It was a big victory, I believe, for Governor Cooper uh, in the sense that if the Republicans had gotten supermajorities in both chambers and could override the veto, then it would definitely uh, impact his ability to effectively govern uh, with the legislature as a, a co-equal partner of government going into his last two years of his term, second term. So it was very good news that the governor was able to stop a, a supermajority in the state house. And again, the the all eyes will be on on I think Michael Ray and probably Shelley Willingham to see to to watch and to to follow whether or not they're willing to work across the party lines uh to cut deals with Speaker Moore and with John Bell, the majority leader, 
And I just think it's going to be intriguing. And I, it sets up a debate coming up probably sooner rather than later. The Speaker and the President Pro Tem have both signaled that they're willing to address Medicaid expansion and access for uh, health care coverage for low-income working poor. And that will probably be one of the top issues that the legislature has to address. And it will be intriguing to see the back and forth that the governor has with the legislature when it comes to the actual specifics of how Medicaid expansion would look here in the state of North Carolina. Is it more capitation, managed care base? What will be the dynamics of the governing structure of the legislation that that will move Medicaid expansion? And uh, another issue that I think will be coming up in the legislature is the uh, Leandro case and the funding for public schools for low wealth schools across the state. The North Carolina Supreme Court two weeks ago remanded the case back to the Superior Court level with an order that the state uh, Superior Court judge ordered the legislature to pay almost $4.3 billion uh, in additional funding for public education. And that was the Democrat Supreme Court. The fact that the Republicans won both seats on the Supreme Court and will take a majority at the first of the year is going to be absolutely um, and, and incredible to watch because Right now, the governor has had the state Supreme Court as a backstop, as a as a checkmate position for the state legislature. With that changing over to Republican control, the legislature gains an advantage because uh, even though Bob Orr, my good friend, uh, disagrees with me on this, that partisanship should not play any type of role in the Superior Court or in the Supreme Court, I'm telling you, I believe politics will play out and that a Republican Supreme Court will be much more aligned with conservative thought, conservative theory, and conservative legislators. So uh, those will be two really big issues at the start of the legislative session that will be intriguing to watch. Well, and now let me ask you a question because I know that the uh, the current maps are going to be redrawn. Is that both the congressional maps as well as the state house and Senate rate maps, or is it just the congressional maps? It's just the congressional maps right now. I think there'll have to be litigation to address the state legislative maps when the Republicans agreed to the redistricting uh, consensus with the state Supreme Court led by Democrats. They said that they would reserve the right to redraw the congressional maps. With the Republican uh, majority of the Supreme Court, I believe in my heart and mind that I think you'll see some uh, legislation to serve as an avenue to allow the state legislature to come back and redraw the state legislative maps as well, because they had grievances on some of the mandates that the state Supreme Court under the Democrats made them adhere to. And they are smart enough to realize that with the Republican Supreme Court, they're going to have a lot longer runway to run legislative and congressional redistricting. Uh, it would not surprise me whatsoever that as we go into the 2024 election cycle, that the congressional map in North Carolina will be redrawn 
and that there will be at least a 9-5 or a 10-4 advantage for the Republicans going into the presidential campaign. And in the state legislative maps, it's a little bit harder for them to be so overt, but I think that they could seriously build in uh, legislative majorities that will last well into the decade um, and perhaps give them positions for supermajorities or to get close to supermajorities. But as we've already seen with the map mandated under the Democrat Supreme Court, they are at a supermajority in the state Senate, one vote shy of a supermajority in the state House. It will be absolutely intriguing, and there is a lot on the line, not only for North Carolina politics, but for national politics. With the closeness that you're seeing in the United States House of Representatives, if you could add a couple more seats from North Carolina to help pad that cushion for the Republicans, it's going to be absolutely incredible to watch. And they will do it for the benefit of their own party. Well, it is going to be interesting. And in, uh, in, uh, uh, as you say, it does have nat- uh, national implications as well as uh, statewide implications. Our guest is Brad Crow. He's the president of Campaign Connections. We're discussing the results of the just finished election. We're going to turn to the national situation in the next segment. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Brad Crone. He's the president of Campaign Connections. And we're talking about the uh, just finished election still. And uh, we are uh, very interested, Brad, in getting your thoughts on what happened nationally. Because uh, just as there were a few surprises in North Carolina about closeness and some races that uh, turned out a little different than had been expected, we had a number of situations nationally because, again, uh, the Republicans were expecting a, uh, a landslide type uh, result, and uh, it just didn't happen. So no. what and did it, happen? What did happen and why? <laughs> well, I think the Trump factor was a major component to American voters saying that they have had enough of Donald Trump. They've had enough of crazy 
we saw that up in northeastern North Carolina in the race between Sandy Smith and Don Davis. And the, the, even with lower than anticipated African-American performance, Don Davis won that congressional seat on the backs of unaffiliated voters who had deep concerns about supporting uh, Sandy Sandy Smith. And uh, the, the fact of the matter is this, is that the, the Trump wing of the Republican Party, they are willing to burn the House down. And uh, as voters take an assessment of that, they realize that may not necessarily be a very good strategy for the future of our country. And I think it sets a interesting tone. The majority in the Republican House is probably going to be one vote, maybe two votes, a a 219 to 217 uh, count as it stands uh, today. And that is one vote. That's a one vote margin for the Republicans in the United States House. So we're going to see with the Democrats maintaining uh, control, maybe a 51-49 or a 50-50 split in the United States Senate, depending on the outcome of the runoff in Georgia between Herschel Walker and Reverend Warnock, Senator Warnock, uh, to be decided. I think it's December 6, early December. And it will be really intriguing uh, to see how split government will be able to work with the president in the last two years of his term. And the president's had a very active schedule uh, in Asia over the last uh, five days, seven days, meeting with President Xi uh, in China and then attending the Asian Economic Summit, the G20 Summit. So, uh, the president is clearly indicating that he intends to run for re-election. I question whether or not that's good strategy or not. If I was turning 80 years old, I don't know that I would want to be running for re-election for president. Uh, but I have friends who are very close to the president and uh, in New Hampshire, and he tells me that the president really does see himself as the only person who can stop Donald Trump. I don't necessarily agree with that or not. I believe the one person who can stop Donald Trump is the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. And Trump realizes that, too. He's seeing the polling data. That's why you're seeing him calling him uh, Governor DeSanctimonious. And Trump has got to be very concerned on multiple fronts, not only from a political front, but from a legal standpoint on the number of investigations that are going on right now, whether it's a civil suit that's ongoing in the state of New York, criminal investigation in the state of Georgia, as well as the Department of Justice probe with the investigation ongoing from January the 6th. So he has several liabilities that he's got to be worried about. But overall, I don't think it's all about Donald Trump. I think it's more about how negative he is, the tone and the tenor that he takes, not necessarily his policies. I think that you you could argue that the uh, economic policies that Trump had in his term of office 
uh, from 2017 to 2021 were generally uh, had positive effects on the economy. As we had talked during a break, Don, about the rapid uh, distribution of the COVID-19 initial vaccine, there were key elements of uh, foreign policy on economic uh, sanctions with China that were extremely successful, and he could not communicate those because he was so wrapped up in a lie about the elections. Well, you know, it's interesting because also he continued to talk about the wall, and uh, of course, the wall just never was was not finished. And and uh, uh, you know, as I said when we were talking before the uh, segment began, it looked like to me he he missed the boat on taking advantage of some of the accomplishments he did make. Did you by any chance see the Spence interview uh, uh, that was on uh, television this week? With I, vice president. I, I did. And it will be uh, interesting to watch whether or not Pence decides to get off the sidewalk and out into the street, or if Pence is willing to set up and help uh, uh, DeSantis run. Uh, DeSantis is, is a dream candidate because he is able to deliver he, he from a policy standpoint. He is a very good communicator. He understands retail politics, and he clearly just had a total, complete butt whipping in the election over Charlie Crist, a former two-term governor from the state of Florida and a member of Congress. So the Republicans have to be excited. The thinking Republicans, the Chamber of Commerce Republicans, the Main Street Republicans, have to be looking for a candidate other than Trump who wants to focus on negativity and find them a candidate who will embrace conservative theory, conservative thought, and has the ability to build a campaign apparatus that is successful in delivering those messages. You know, I look at key conservatives here, John, um, from the uh, John Locke Foundation, uh, John Hood, uh, Bob Orr. I look at, at Republicans, uh, Pat McCrory, who could find something that they could support in someone like DeSantis as an alternative to Trump nation. The one thing from a retail political side you have to be worried about is the 30% to 33 34% a base Republicans who are supportive of Trump and uh, the the MAGA Republicans and the impact that they can have on a primary. So I, I think as we move forward, watching the Republicans stand up to that element of the party and say, no, we're not going to drive the car off the cliff. No, we're not going to burn the house down. We're going to return back to reasonable thinking conservatives who can deliver a consistent message that will persuade enough voters so that we can build a governing coalition. And that will be an all-out fight. 
the interesting thing I'm reading, it seems like most of his big donors are backing down one by one. And, and Murdoch, of course, with his uh, media empire, of course, has clearly stated now that he is uh, not supporting Trump. So can he overcome all that? I, I really don't think so. And I, he has enough money to go all the way through the primary process. ABC News was reporting last night that he has over $225 million set aside in different uh, political action committees as well as his campaign accounts. He says he will run a much leaner campaign operation, um, and I don't doubt that at all. He is heavily engaged. The President Donald Trump is his best consultant, and I will give the devil his dues in the sense that he has good instincts at points of time. Uh, again, it comes back to how he goes about the process. And I, I just don't think that we can take, we'll, we will have to go through it, but I don't think the nation's voters will embrace four more years of constant negative uh, comments, the tone and the tenor that he takes, the the disruption that he embraces as a part of uh, his governance. And I would love to see the, the Republican Party come out with a platform and to have uh, thinking Republicans who can actually build a governing coalition and then deliver public policy uh, as a part of the debate in our election process. Well, it's, it's really interesting and a real challenge to the Republican Party because it's very clear that uh, even even the uh, Trump supporters realize, I think, that he is not as concerned about the Republican Party as he is about his own re-election, and that's uh, abundantly clear. But he and can it's end all up about, with a situation. Right. It's, yeah, it's, go ahead. It's all about Donald Trump. You know, that's that's the problem. He said that if the Republicans had a great night on election night, he was uh, the reason if they lost, then it was Mitch McConnell's fault. He is never willing to take acceptance or responsibility for any of his actions. And we saw that with the big lie and and the continued process of telling the lie over and over and over so much that you begin to believe it. And I challenge the the MAGA supporters here in the state of North Carolina to look at the integrity of our election process, and uh, they'll quickly realize, you know, 2025.5 million votes cast, 187 cases of election fraud or miscast ballots being investigated, eight of those referred, three for criminal prosecution, uh, and additional investigation. As a part of that, we learned that the president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, had registered not only in North Carolina, but in the Commonwealth of Virginia and in the state of Florida. So, um, you know, they make a big deal about election fraud. And the fact of the matter is uh, the election integrity in the state of North Carolina stands strong and and stands tall. And we have an impeccable election system. 
that I think every citizen, if you investigated it, would be proud of the reconciliation and the duplicity that we have in it to protect the integrity of our elections. Duplicity. You, you're, you're getting, you've been around John Hood too long. You're introducing mm-hmm. these words like the duplicity. That, that's a, that's a good word. I'm, I'm proud of you, Brad. <laughs> I must mention also that Brad uh, one time was a staff member of uh, WPTF News back when he had good sense and uh, was in, in radio broadcasting, but uh, he's since ventured over into the area of uh, being a political strategist and he's done a great job at doing it. Well, we, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the issues that were and might be a part of the uh, election process during the next couple of years, the Ukraine-Russian situation, inflation, uh, crime, uh, and all the issues that may uh, actually turn out to be real-life issues that we actually discuss uh, during this uh, next two-year period as we get ready to uh, have another election. Seems like we're starting awfully early. Well, we'll do that when we return right after these messages. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. (sighs) We want to hire you. You're, You're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Again, we uh, welcome our guest this week, Brad Cohn, who's been on our program a number of times through the years. Brad, I want to talk about sort of a a litany of uh, different things that that, that sort of came up in the first sector. We talked about uh, Medicaid expansion being a real issue for the state of North Carolina. But there's a couple of other issues I want to get your opinion on. Uh, it does seem like, uh, at least from what I'm reading, you are far more involved than I am, but it does look like that uh, Medicaid expansion is is on a uh, track that uh, probably looks like that uh, we'll have some form of that. But what about sports betting? Uh, that uh, we are surrounded by uh, a lot of states that have accepted sports betting as being legalized. Uh, what uh, and uh, there are a lot of people that thought it would be passed in the last session. It was not. Where does that stand? Well, uh, on the Medicaid expansion, a lot depends on what comes out of the hospitals and the North Carolina Health Association 
and their willingness to negotiate with the state Senate on a certificate of need legislation. And that will be critical to that element. Also, what type of rebate will the hospitals be willing to do? Right now, the the Medicaid expansion funding would be 90% federal, 10% state. The state Senate wants to have some type of mechanism where the hospitals help cover that 10% of the cost that the state would be responsible for. So that's what the hospitals and the provider communities negotiating with Speaker Moore and the President Pro Tem Berger on at this point in time. Those negotiations are ongoing. There have been proposals, counterproposals. Uh, they will be meeting in the corner suites, working out that process. I do think at some period of time that we will have a Medicaid expansion deal. I would not take any bets at this point in time on what that's going to look like at the end of the day and what the payables, the liabilities will be for the provider community versus the assets. And speaking of betting, I do think sports gaming uh, will be back uh, at the General Assembly. What form and fashion that takes will be interesting. There are two major players in that with the Carolina Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes, both wanting to take advantage of sports gaming uh, at their facilities. Right now, uh, the Cherokee have uh, sports gaming, uh, sports books at their facilities in Murphy and in Cherokee. And then the Catawba Nation has sports book, I believe at their Kings Mountain facility. And will you be able to expand to professional um, sports facilities that you have there in Charlotte and that you have here at the PNC Arena in Raleigh, as well as what would online sports book look like? Right now, the people are doing it and the state's not getting a takeoff of it. So uh, it, I think it will be interesting. They were a few vo- votes short uh, back in late August and, and September when they were wrapping up the session of the General Assembly. What impact this election will have remains to be seen on sports book for uh, next session. <clears throat> Another interesting element when it comes to gaming is the expansion of the state lottery into video poker. And will they allow the state lottery to set up kiosks in restaurants and in bars and in taverns and at the uh, sports locations, whether it's Keenan Stadium or whether it's uh, the Carolina Panthers Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte to have kiosks for video poker and video gaming. And that would be a billion dollar take for the, for, uh, online gaming with the state taking a very significant cut out of that as much as 40 to 50 percent so a lot of revenue on the table there when it comes to video poker and the state you know under from 2000 to 2006 had video poker and uh, the state outlawed it in 2008 And now the state lottery has been introducing gradually online games such as Keno. 
and uh, online uh, gaming centers. Um, so I think you're going to see that the state, the legislature needs to have a very serious discussion about gaming, whether it's sports gaming or video gaming, what's available, how can you regulate it, how can you tax it and generate revenue off of it. The other thing that you introduced a little earlier was the Anjo case, uh, $3.5 billion, a lot of money. Yeah, it is a lot of money. And I think you're going to have a, a lot of debate. Uh, Representative Torbett out of Gaston County earlier this week on Wednesday announced a, a slate of education reform issues, one of them going back to the school calendar issue. So alert. We will more than likely have a vigorous debate about our school calendar, when school starts and when school ends. Uh, Representative Torbett was saying, Don, that he won't start he wants to start school Tuesday after Labor Day and try and get finished up by Memorial Day. And so your urban school boards are going to have a stroke over over that process. Uh, many of them, Forsyth County, for example, wants to start school as early as August 11th. By compressing your school calendar, it helps your vacation industry in the state, but it also means that you'll have shorter Christmas holiday breaks, shorter Thanksgiving breaks, shorter spring breaks, fewer teacher work days. Mm -hmm. Good, bad, or indifferent, I don't know the answer to that question, but it's going to be uh, a vigorous debate that legislature will have. The opportunity scholarship and additional funding that you'll see there on school choice issues, another issue of critical importance. And I believe with the Republicans increasing their seat counts in both chambers, that there's going to be more and more support for school choice and moving funds, public education funds away from public school systems to charter schools and to private school vouchers. And I believe parents across the state are saying more and more, we want choices for our children, better choices. We want to create an environment where there's competition among the school choices that will deliver the best educational opportunity for their children. And you're seeing that with the, the, the increase in, in charter schools across the state movement in particular with uh, communities of color, children uh, coming out of African-American, Latinx, and Asian households going into charter schools, thinking that their children will get more attention and a better education than they would receive under public schools. So that's going to put stress on our public school systems as we move forward. But I really do believe that Republicans are, are committed to major reforms when it comes to education. They want to restructure the payment process. They want to restructure the licensing process for uh, teachers. And that will have an impact on our public school system. So there are going to be multiple challenges that the State Board of Education and our county and local boards of education will face on all the public school systems across the state of North Carolina, as well as additional money, I believe, going into charter schools and into private schools. And I'll say this, 
I don't have an answer. I'm just an observer in this fight, but I don't necessarily think that it's a negative stand uh, on providing more choices for parents to have when it comes to the education of their children. So um, I did some polling work last year and was really surprised uh, focus group research in, in Charlotte and in Raleigh and in Greenville talking about education. And I was really shocked at the lack of public support, uh, of voter support for public schools. And it, it was probably the lowest level that I've ever seen in 31 years of doing this uh, of political consulting work. And I, I, I had talked about that uh, last year with Governor Hunt. I said, it's a really big challenge. And, and I believe it's a clarion call for our public school system to rise up and to meet the challenges. Now, the public schools would argue to you, Don, that they don't have the same set of rules that the charter schools have, that they have to take all comers, that they have to have uh, special needs programs for special students, uh, academic programs for underperforming students, and they're much more inclusive. And that puts additional burden and financial strains on our public education system. I get that. I understand that. But I believe, also believe that they have enough money from an infrastructure standpoint to create a competitive environment for parents to make smart decisions on what's going to be best for their child. And more parental involvement and inclusion in that process is going to be a critical element to the policy that the Republicans are going to be looking at. The other issue uh, that uh, I guess this is sort of an insignificant issue, but it's still one that uh, people are going to be kind of interested in seeing how it turns out. And that is, do we go to the daylight savings time year round? That would be interesting at the state level. There's definitely support for that. There are several states, Arizona, that I can think of for, for certain. Uh, I would hope that we could figure out some manner to deal with the time issue on a national basis so that when you're traveling, if we went to uh, daylight savings time on an annual basis so that, you know, I wouldn't want to have a situation where Commonwealth of Virginia and the state of Tennessee recognize standard time and we don't. So every time you cross over the border into Tennessee, you got to change your watch. And then if you cross over into Roan County into um, going over to Davidson County, for example, uh, I believe the timeline is right there just west of Knoxville and Roan County from eastern to central. So I, I would would not want to see a, a situation like that. So hopefully they can figure out some type of solution, pass a resolution stating support and look at it as a as an issue of commerce and trade um, that we would look at a federal solution rather than a state solution. I know flying into Arizona in uh, the summer because Arizona stays on standard time is often a, a real um, disruption. But, you know, people do it. The interesting thing, the reason we have standardized time is the railroads. 
you know, prior to the railroads, everybody had their own, you had local time, not standard or daylight savings time. So um, it is something that we'll have to look at. Another really uh, important issue, but I don't think it's going to get a lot of time and attention, it's going to be climate change. And, uh, you know, will we take efforts to reduce carbon emissions in the state of North Carolina? What's going to happen with staffing over at the Department of Environment and and uh, quality controls for the environment? So the, the uh, environmental and climate issues will be another one that we'll watch as the General Assembly and, and the governor tangle over that. Our guest is Brad Crom. We've got one final segment coming up. And then during that segment, we want to talk a little bit about the Ukraine situation, inflation. We might even touch on NIL because there are a lot of people that think only Congress can uh, straighten out that mess. Uh, and we, uh, some other issues as well. Our guest is Brad Crone, and we look forward to uh, getting his opinions and thoughts on those issues. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Again, our guest is Brad Crone, who uh, has had a very interesting career throughout his uh, his entire career. Back when he had good sense, he was a member of the staff of WPTF in the news department. Then he became a, 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 a daily newspaper publisher at the Thomasville Times. And uh, then he's also in his past uh, done such things as being, the, uh, uh, being involved as uh, a special assistant to... Uh, Commissioner Jim Graham, who was one of North Carolina's most colorful politicians. I bet you can tell lots of stories about your involvement with Jim Graham. And we probably ought to take a whole segment sometime and just talk about that. Oh, the, the, the main question I want to know about your relationship with Jim Graham, could you ever tell what he was really saying? <laughs> hey, and when he really didn't want you to understand, he'd lay it on thick. My, yeah, because he, he mumbled. Because you know, he, he really mumbled. Right. And he'd get a cigar in his mouth and, you know, good luck on figuring out what he was saying. My, we did a, a cattle sale up in Jackson uh, in Northampton County. 
And it was amazing to me watching Jim Graham work the group. And he would, now, Miss Cooper, how are you? Now, how's your sister Sally doing? And he knew everybody's family lineage. So when I got back in the car driving back to Raleigh, I said, Commissioner, how do you know all these folks? He said, I memorize. He said, I, I will ask somebody who their family is and their family lineage, and I will identify one person or two people. He had almost a, a close to a photographic memory on family lineage, and then he could memorize spreadsheets, financial spreadsheets. So it was always intriguing watching him because he would, you know, he'd ask you how Aunt Sally's doing. And at that point in time, he had you. Bam. You know, you're, you're totally connected. And then, you know, there's some people. That, uh, go ahead. There, I, I was going to say there's some people that have that, that ability. Dean Smith was another one. He and Jim Graham never forgot a, a face. They just didn't. They remembered everybody. They didn't. It's just absolutely intriguing to me. And then I'll never forget when he was trying to get the Raleigh Farmers Market Bill. He was dealing with a couple of state senators. And uh, he memorized the the spreadsheets on the production and the value of the the new farmers market that they were building uh, off of Lake Wheeler Road at the time, and it was just incredible watching him work the work the room, and uh, it, it truly was the guy. Uh, the vision that he had for our state on building out a network of farmers markets really transformational and i think when sat on saturdays when i go to the market i think he would be so proud to see the fact that you have to park up on the grass because you cannot find a parking spot on saturday and sunday out at the farmer's market and he'd be so proud of that and i think he would be very proud of the work that steve troxler has done in his footsteps and following him and the investment that that commissioner troxler has made on the marketing of commodity products in our state so you know don we we a lot of times have major disagreements but we've had some darn good people govern our state and and steve troxler is one of them uh harlan bulls for example a treasurer um we've had richard moore we, we've had really good people, a fad year in the Secretary of State, Rufus Edmonston as AG. And so we've been lucky in having really good people uh, in the Council of State offices govern our state. But I, I digress there. We were going to talk about inflation. Well, I was going to, uh, I want to add a little bit to what you said because, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, Jim Graham could do so well because he, Gave you that country bumpkin talk all the time, but the guy was brilliant. I mean, he was very, very smart. And so he could slip up on you before you knew it. Your pocket had been picked. Yes, uh, yeah, we, we do, we do want to talk about some of the other issues that may or may not be a factor in the election uh, two years hence. Uh, one that may be solved by that time may not be is the grain situation. We're pouring a lot of money in that. Uh, how long do you think the American people will feel comfortable? Uh, I mean, right now there's a, an incredible amount of sentiment, uh, and rightly so for the Ukraine people. But how long will our patience with that matter last, in your opinion? At least for the next short term, probably for the next 12 months, the president requested 
an additional $37 billion supplement for Ukrainian aid earlier this week. And the advancements that they have made have been made on the back of United States technology, United States training uh, on high-tech warfare systems that have really helped them. Their anti-defense system and then the uh, on-the-ground drone efforts that they've had, uh, the fact that they were able to take the southern city of Kherson was absolutely instrumental in uh, poking a real hot stick into President Putin's eye. And it has not been a good war for Russia. It is a proxy war in the sense that it's American technology, European technology versus Russian war technology. And what we're seeing is that the American defense systems have proved to be extremely effective, even when outmanned and outgunned by the Repo- by the Russians with uh, traditional weapon systems, the uh, ground-to-air missiles that the Russians have used are really proven that they they are out of date. The electronic systems that are GPS-driven by the Americans are much more succinct, much more direct, much more effective. And so from that standpoint, the folks, the planners at the Pentagon have to be extremely happy. And whether or not oh. the appetite will remain, I don't know. But I, I hope that the Russians and Ukrainians can get some type of agreement to sit at least sit at the table during the winter months before we go into a second year of war. It's, it's how long will it, I was going to ask you, how long do you think, I mean, one of the things that's going to happen to Russia is they're going to be so weak after this thing is over. Uh, how long do you think it will take them to ever become a real factor again as far as a nemesis? I, I know nuclear, they're probably in fairly good shape to give us a little scare, but uh, they're using an awful lot of their assets and using them up. Uh, and how long do you think it will take them to rebuild? You've got to believe that the economic sanctions are beginning to have a strangling effect on the Russian economy. You see that on the international monetary markets with the value of the ruble. The fact of the matter is that Putin overplayed his hand, made a bad decision, and the biggest element to the story, I believe, Don, is going to be watching what happens in Moscow and whether or not there will be internal pressure uh, placed on Putin to change course, or will there be internal political pressure to look for the post-Putin, the next Russian leader, and who who will that be? And uh, that will that that will be significant. Clearly, you're you're absolutely right. Our, you know, the fact that we had the Cold War and we won the Cold War. We went through a period of time of where we could accept each other. Now we're back at at um, enemy level, I believe, but not as near much with China. China, I believe, China and India pose much more. Uh, China, in particular, from a military standpoint, India, from an economic standpoint, pose more threats to us. Uh, than the state Russian state does at this point in time. But I, I, I also 
am very surprised at the fact that the Ukrainians have said, no, not this time. And so that's an important component for global um, positioning as well. The concern that I have is that a prolonged war is just going to really, really impact Russia from an uh, European continent from an energy standpoint and an economic standpoint. The UK finance minister on Thursday announced a massive amount of spending cuts, uh, almost $60 billion in increased taxes across the UK, as well as announcing publicly that the Great Britain was in recession. And the markets, um, how they received that news uh, was not very positive. And Target also on Thursday announced that they believe their their guidance to Wall Street late Wednesday afternoon was that their profits were going to recede uh, as a result of people spending less money for the holidays. So I believe setting economic policy and course for the next two years is going to be important. I believe we will probably have a recession. I think that it will be uh, a mild recession, and I hope that it will be a short recession. Um, I was reading some reports from the Wall Street Journal over the weekend while I was down at the Outer Banks about uh, Jerome Powell's Fed policy on the economy. And the Fed is apparently taking the position by raising the rates for borrowing money as a cooling off mechanism of our economy, but also hopefully to stimulate our employment sector. Uh, We are still post COVID on the employment sector with a lot of people still not wanting to work. And hopefully uh, recession will help do a reset button there and, and get it back. With all that said, Don, North Carolina is probably in the strongest position you and I have ever seen and our audience has ever seen when it comes to economic stability, in particular in our urban and suburban markets. And uh, just last week, we had two major industrial announcements uh, with more than a billion dollars of investments and more jobs coming into North Carolina. You're seeing the banking industry in Charlotte stabilize. You're seeing Apple in Research Triangle Park you're seeing the uh, Toyota plant in central North Carolina and Randolph County, just huge investments that I think will prove to be stabilizing factors for North Carolina's economy, even though we face a recession. Yeah, North Carolina, as you said, is in probably the best. Of course, Linfest, the automobile manufacturer, huge, huge number of employees and so forth. Well, Brad, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, or if you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries only the half-hour version, you can pick up the two other segments that are included in this broadcast by going to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises another interesting guest next week. So we will look forward to seeing you and yours next week. Same time, same station. Have a good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. 
Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.